please pronounce your names correctly and give me a little bit of background on your career, life, whatever you feel is most interesting and compelling for the listeners. My name is Madalena Kay. Uh, I'm an artist and an activist from uh, the UK. I'm a, a campaigner and I'm, I'm mainly known for campaigning against Brexit under the uh, pseudonym uh, EU Supergirl. But I've uh, campaigned on a lot of different issues and I was awarded Young European of the Year in 2018 and uh, uh, the EU Charlemagne Youth Prize in 2020. And um, I'm Christina Ilek. I'm from Prague. Um, and I'm a dramaturg and a researcher and a producer sometimes. And um, I've spent the past, I don't know how many years living abroad. So um, yes, yeah, so I've been working in, in the UK, in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, that's about it. And um, yeah, I, I think that's enough. <laughs> did, did we meet I don't already? Think we, well, I saw you at the panel talk, but I don't think we've actually met. But I think that I know that you live in Prague, right? Right. Yeah. That's why I was like, there was somebody I met who we were talking about Prague. And I no, don't it wasn't think it was me. You. No, but it's super. Um, I kind of want to ask, what are you doing in Prague? But I guess I'll ask later. <laughs> oh, no, I'm in Prague because my wife is Czech. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, she wanted to go to school. And for her, as a Czech citizen, of course, schooling is free there. So she got her master's degree. Yeah. And then we want to have a child, which, of course, is socialized medicine and the massive three year maternity leave. So we decided to stick around to use all of the socialized opportunities. And then once all those are all done, we will leave. That's a good one. <laughs> How do you, do you teach online then? I do, but that I'm going to have to edit out actually now that I've said this out loud because my uh, my school in the United States believes I live in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which te technically I have permanent residence there. So like I do live there. Yeah. But. We won't tell anyone. Don't worry. It's okay. I mean, if they if they ever found this podcast, they would be fully aware that I'm not in the United States because everything is about. So I live in Prague, and I live in Prague. <laughs> so yeah. Um. Anyways, all right. So the two of you were part of this. Uh, uh, gosh, what's it? Think tanks for the Destructor Forum. Correct? Is that phrased correctly? Destructura. Destructura. Okay, and I'm mm -hmm. sure I mispronounced that, but. Destructura. There we go. Yeah, that's like the American version of Destructura, you know. So you're, it's totally correct. Yeah, my butchered, horrible language skills no. come out quite frequently. It's okay. I'm so great. <laughs> but no, no, no. I, I I'm really bad at it. But it, that's why I have you pronounce your names because, like, I don't even know how to pronounce people's names. But anyways. So you, the two of you were part of the the uh, think tank revolving around funding. Correct. I love this topic. It's your favorite topic. It is absolutely like I would say my second most favorite topic outside of like having to write text about our art. That's my second favorite other favorite topic. So why? What why, is, why is it your favorite topic? <laughs> what funding? Yeah. Uh, because it's it is the most nebulous, misunderstood, um, non-transparent process in the entire thing. Like, like you're I never selling a, on it. 
Exactly. Well, I mean, but like selling a piece of art or selling tickets to an event or anything like this, like those are very transparent, very obvious. Funding, so whether that's grant funding or or sponsorships or anything like that, totally not transparent at all. Like you can send in, you can put in months worth of effort to write an application, you send it in, and you get one of two answers, yes or no. And that's it. If it's yes, you don't know why. And if it's no, you also don't know why. So how can you get better? And it drives me fucking nuts. But anyways, let's go back to... I actually know why I got funding from the European Cultural Foundation. Because I had a chat with my grant officer after they'd awarded it to me. And they ba- she basically told me that on the day that they received my application, they'd seen some news media piece that I featured in. And then they received my application. And they were like, oh, yeah, she's famous. or She's got publicity. That'll be good for us. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't have told you that. <laughs> Well, but that's just like the nature of like right place, right time kind of an idea, which mm-hmm. is like literally that, that entire thing came down and worked to your advantage due to timing. Yeah. Which I find very sad because it has nothing to do, nothing personal to you, but it has nothing to do directly with merit or quality or any. It's just like, oh, they're famous. They're in the news. We should fund them. Like, hey, like, oh, gosh. So anyways, why – when you all went into this funding think tank, what were some of the issues that you all – enough of my soapboxing. What were some of the issues that you all thought were important to think about and address? Well, I'm thinking now that you should have joined our think tank because you would have loved it. But, um, <laughs> but um, well, we were all together, I think, nine um, participants in that group. And so everyone had their kind of own um, experience or non-experience with funding. So that was kind of important. So at the start, we tried to, um, yeah, like uh, talk to each other, um, which was more or less difficult, like um, in like an online environment. But I think we kind of managed. And then we um, yeah, thought about the areas that we want to cover that kind of bother us the most or, or that we know the least about. So there was actually quite a quite a few. I don't know if you if it will make sense, like go through them one by one, or um, how should we approach it, Madalena? What do you think? <laughs> um, well, I think we had a broad range of perspectives within the think tank. So people that had, had different experiences with funding. For example, uh, the girl from uh, Georgia, she had like experience of being part of an organization and managing to get funding from the EU via the Creative Europe scheme. Whereas like me, most of my funding, it's come from uh, like crowdfunding or a few grants I've been successful in getting. And then like others in the group, um, they had like, I mean, all of us have had the experience of just applying, applying, doing so many applications, wasting so much time and energy and getting nothing as a result. And that's like a shared experience across all of them. And some people have had those few times where it's been successful and others not at all. And they've just been struggling. Yeah, I think uh, it was kind of nice actually that like some people came with a lot of experience and some people came with the with the interest in like, oh, I, I, I want to know more about this. I need to know more about this. And that kind of also illustrates how little we actually know as as artists. I mean, uh, I mean, we, we came up with the term um, creative worker instead of an artist. So we can use it. We don't have to. <laughs> but um, it's I think it kind of shows how even like formal education doesn't really give you anything at all. 
And if you don't have formal education as a as an artist or or a creative person, then again you have to educate yourself um, on your own, and it's really really difficult. And uh, for me, one of the one of my like personal motivations perhaps was the um, kind of almost like a healthy environment that funding creates in the arts. And on the one hand, I really like to uh, work in uh, in art industry. But it's been, but funding is really, really difficult. So then people turn to, you know, you, you, you end up working for free a lot and you end up doing favors and receiving favors in return and all that. And it's very, um, on the one hand, it's very like resourceful and kind of it's super nice to see everyone's enthusiasm. Uh, that's like the only good part, but then also it can become so exploitative and all sorts of weird like hierarchies get established and there's kind of nothing um to kind of protect you especially when you're a young emerging artist coming into it and trying to like i don't know just make it happen so i think that's why i was thinking i, I don't have too much experience with receiving funding <laughs> so i was in, in that other group but um i just know that the way that it's done now i don't like it um and so i thought well sure i'll just join this think tank and change it <laughs> so yeah just to be clear, this podcast is funded by a grant from the EEA. So I, I'm appreciative of grants, though the I generally find the entire process of the waste of time of having to write, like, if you're lucky, you write 10 grants in order to get one. Uh, I'd know, say one in thing. 100. I'd say one in 100. I, I was being generous. <laughs> but I mean, but it's hard because like you would think it like, I'll be honest, I know that the reason why I received the grant that I did, which was a reasonably substantial grant for a, for a sort of a standalone grant, was because the um, the I was the only English-speaking person to apply in the Czech Republic. And so they sort of put me on as a test to see if running through as an English person would, be, would work. Mm. So I'm just a, a test case. Uh. Well, I appreciate the transparency that both of you kind of like share, you know, in terms of how you receive certain fundings. That's uh, and they're also quite funny. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but the problem with it was like for the, for instance, mine, and I I feel really bad because I'm sure my funders are going to hear this, but <laughs> the the criteria that they set up for receiving this funding was so specific that. In the end, like they had this grant, it was available for I think like four years, and they had enough funds to give out to like ten grants over the course of that four years. And in that four years, nobody qualified for it, so they didn't give any funds out until literally the last of the four years because they just had to give it out. And so they sort of lessened their criteria because like they had such stringent criteria. They basically they wanted people who were in the arts. Mm. who have a business for, that has been in, in run, running for more than three years. Well, most people in the, in the arts don't have a business, period. If they have a business, the it does not last three years. <laughs> that's right. And then it doesn't last three years. So it's, like, so it's like they set it up with a bureaucratic mind of like, well, this will show that they are this kind of responsible and blah, 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 not thinking that that's not actually how the arts works. And that's how I feel like a lot of funding models are created, which is very unfortunate. I've got to get off my soapbox and let you all talk, though. The, the funding models, 
funding applications, funding process is created by people that do not understand the arts and do not understand artists and how they work and the environment in which they're working. And I think I think Christina will agree with me that we actually put forward proposals that were to try and challenge that as well. So, you know, one of the proposals that we put forward was uh, for that the EU to create a standardized and simplified application form um, um, that is accessible in a variety of formats for people, you know, that are visual thinkers and maybe dyslexic or, you know, something that's accessible. But also the creation of this needs to be done with artists informing the whole process and the outcome because at the moment the application like forms you just look at them and your brain melts because it's just like numbers and boxes and so many words you just can't make sense of what the hell it is that they want from you well the difficulty of what you just said which i agree with what you just said is is that you're expecting the funders to put in more work and and they're not trying to put in work they're just trying to give out money and they don't they don't want to work any harder to give money out they want to work convenient if easy if they wanted it to be convenient they wouldn't make the system complex they're just doing what is easy for them correct and what is easy for them is what they're used to and what they've always done before and it's just a lack of creativity and also a lack of due diligence and care about making the process accessible in order to achieve equality diversity and inclusion it's like they don't even care about that i think it's almost like also i agree and i also think that it kind of like represents the kind of like relationship between art and other um industries and other other professions and art always comes out like whatever kind of art like we're speaking in very very broad terms so i do not want to like generalize too much but um yeah it's kind of easy to be like to put like art as this like yeah like it's just somewhere it's it's, it's a bit different it's like somewhere aside and and it's like creative crazy world um and then so the so there is like a strange so there's a misunderstanding i feel like almost from, from the funders um and then uh using those forms for for applications that don't work i don't think they're i don't think they're doing it because uh they do not want to fund art even though that's i mean perhaps yeah that's like another maybe point but also they just don't i i don't think they know any any different and that's just that's maybe there and and way of seeing seeing maybe the world and just the process and they, they think that that's how it should be done whereas um art doesn't really function as at least in my opinion uh on like how things should be done that like literally art is like an opposite of that so i think it's almost like um more like a theoretical conceptual kind of <laughs> misunderstanding that is coming out for example, through through like super weird and and strange for me forms, um, yeah, it's it's bizarre. We're hoping. I'm I'm really hoping that with the proposal that we suggested, we could at least trial out maybe an an application form and see if you know make it with artists, make it with the people who is who it is intended for. But yeah, I guess we'll see. Well, what something you brought up there is something that I've often asked about too, which is like a consistent vernacular. Because, uh, for instance, I'll give you an example. I looked around 
uh, Europe trying to find uh, what I call travel grants, which is what we call it in the United States. Well, in certain parts of Europe, it's those are referred to as mobility grants. But some mobility grants are for traveling within a country. So if I wanted to travel from Rome to Venice, that would be a, a mobility grant. But other countries, a mobility grant is if you want to go from Rome to Paris to a different country. So even like the, the same terms don't even mean the same things depending on where you're looking. And I find that a bit ridiculous. We should come up with a consistent vernacular. I think it can make it extremely hard to like find appropriate funding or to be aware of it. And I know that like when I've applied for grants um, and, and received them, um, some like it's it's only because somebody else has made me aware that even the grant exists or, or when I um, have received my awards, like, um, you know, somebody nominated me for Young European of the Year. It wasn't even me that did it. Like people send things to you because they know you. And it's I think that the funders don't even put in um, like uh, adequate resources into publicizing their opportunities. Um, and that means that there's not equity of ac access to them. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> it's it's really strange. It's like uh, no one ever tells you. And like, I mean, obviously, like it depends on like each individual and stuff like that. You know, to to figure your things out and what you want to do, how you're gonna do it. And I and I totally like, yeah, that's that's how it is. Um, perhaps, but then also it is just really really difficult. Even if you wanna like like a part part of your arts career. And this is, I'm not, I'm not saying anything new. I feel like we all know it, but it's like, you need to do so many jobs at the same time. And like being like doing your craft or, or your art or whatever, is like a small percentage of all the other things that you have to do. And one of them is educating yourself on those opportunities. So um, yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's a joke. It's a bit of a joke. <laughs> well, I mean, that whole idea of like educating yourself on the opportunities. I mean, I, I could go back when I was in high school, this is really pathetic, but I was in high school and I was like, oh, I want to go do an artist residency. I mean, I hadn't even been an artist. I was just like, I want to do one. That sounds like fun. And I, I found a book that was like 300 pages thick of just artist residency. Yeah, it was a book. This is pre-internet just to date myself. But there was this book of like 300 pages of artist residencies just in France. And then I found out there's like another 200 page one for, for the Netherlands and another 200 page one for I mean, the sheer volume of opportunities, whether it be you know, uh, funding in general, grants, uh, artist residencies, and then even exhibition opportunities or performance opportunities, the sheer volume of them. And quite honestly, in my opinion, the sheer volume of bad ones that have proliferated in the past 15, 20 years that really are not beneficial and end up sort of costing you more and don't help your CV or your reputation in any way whatsoever is also a, a big problem. These sort of, I don't know what you would call it, like inappropriate, un unprofessional things. The term that we um, decided on in the group for those uh, was predatory ops, Good. like predatory yep. journals, because they're feeding on the artists they're taking resources away from them and it's for their own benefit it's usually because they're art washing or you know they want to publicize their 
their company or their organization or something in some way and that is um like i get emails all the time and it infuriates me when they've found out specific information about me identified maybe some artworks that i've made for my website and they email you with we really like this artwork we'd really like to display it in this blah 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 uh, just click through here to find out how and it takes you to a paywall you know or or, or, or even worse the ones where they try to lure you in like I received an email, a scam recently, where they tried to lure you in to doing an interview. And then only later in the process, they tell you that you have to pay to be published in this uh, journal. It really infuriates me because it's like we're not even making money from our normal work. And then people are sapping on us and, and, and we're like prey to them. And that make, that was also one of the issues we tried to address um, because we put in a proposal that the EU could uh, provide a European-wide uh, uh, platform online for vetted opportunities um, that, are, that are actually of benefit to artists and they're all centralised in one place so, so everybody knows where to look and they know that these are going to be good opportunities that was one of our proposals i would even caveat that like i don't think it's just like as simple as like uh, like a predatory or non-predatory but i think there's also sort of a hierarchy of of them because like there are some i can think of a couple galleries i know that like they're not great galleries and maybe they're slightly predatory because maybe you would like pay a fee kind of thing but it's a nominal fee and it actually is a nominal fee and it does put something on your CV and you do physically get an exhibition. So like there's there's a there's like slight predatory to like absurdly predatory. So like I think there could be a, a like a, a graded system out of that instead of just a good or bad. I think it comes down to to the issue of transparency. Uh, we actually had an interesting discussion in the group with someone who is um, um, a manager. And they raised the point that like, um, yeah, but, you know, venues kind of need to like sustain themselves. And it makes sense that if we offer like the artists kind of, um, you know, if they're coming for and lots of residencies are actually paid and you know upfront how much you pay and kind of what you get. And then obviously some artists cannot afford that at that stage of their career. And some kind of can treat the residency as an investment almost right in their career. Like it's like, oh, yeah, I'll go to this and this place and I know how much I'll pay and I can afford that. And then because of that later i'll be it's like an investment basically and uh, i think the um and the issue is just being transparent about it like explain why you need um that amount of money to have an artist in residence what are you spending it on and and i, and I think i mean hmm, like from from my experience the, the either i didn't really even bother applying for, for residencies where i would have to pay i was thinking like oh so i'll go somewhere it's gonna be so much hassle i'll get there and then i'll have to pay that was a bit of a joke but um it's like sometimes like they explain to you what they will provide you with but then i don't know i would even appreciate just like an explanation on why like uh, like why are they unable to get it and why are they offering that opportunity if they know that they will have to ask the artist it's just it's almost it's about honesty as well <laughs> one members of our group had a suggestion actually to combat this issue that you um, uh, just um, said and that is to have like a rating system so like TripAdvisor or something people can can rate their experience and then others will know is this a five-star opportunity yeah. is this a one-star oh my god that's the greatest like artistic website thing idea like could you imagine a, could you imagine a website that basically like was Yelp reviews of artist residencies or grants as to whether or not they were like easy, worthwhile, et cetera, et cetera. That would be amazing.
I think it would also be like improve the market for ops because if uh, like some ops uh, get really badly rated, they'll have less people applying. So then they're going to improve the standard and the quality of what they're offering. Yeah, I know. Because that's how business works. And from their side of perspective of this, all this is a business. And we live in a capitalist society, so you have to play by the rules of the game. Yes. It's sad, but true. I mean, it, 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 but see, okay, there's, that's a, there's, that's a whole like aspect of this whole funding thing. That's a big, big thing that I think a lot of people get into the arts, like any sort of creative industry, whatever, based on romantic ideas that they either read in books, saw in movies or, or had when they were whatever young and had some experience. And then what they don't understand, and I'm probably just projecting because like, I had these ideas and possibly still do these very romantic ideas of what the artist lifestyle is. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that no matter what aspect of the arts you're in, whether you're a practicing artist or you're working for a gallery or a, or a granting organization, it's always a business. To be honest, um, I, I do feel like surely there are people who kind of have those ideas, but I also, at least in like my social circles, it's just people who are just really passionate about what they do. <laughs> and it's and there are no dreams, it's very realistic and they, they know pretty much what their situation is and they're, they're just trying to make it happen because they do something that they love and uh, or something that they really think that is um, helping the world and making it a better, nicer place. This is like a very naive, like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging, you know, their opinions. It's just the way that I'm talking about it, I realize that it might sound a bit like, yeah, well, art can't change the world. I think it can again, but you know, that's like another discussion. But also, um, yeah, you had a, you had a point at the end, and then I was so eager to like like get this out that I forgot what else I wanted to say. But um, I, I think people are definitely getting into art from actually very like you know like di like different places, and the like idealizing art. Yes, you were you were talking about business that it's business. There's definitely something that I feel like doesn't get mentioned enough. So I agree, like. Um, and again, I, I would see this as almost like lack of education. So on the one hand, we don't have, um, you know, um, enough information about about how to get funding, where to get funding, like uh, anything like um, and, and then also almost like no one ever mentions like, oh, by the way, it's a business. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, maybe that is clear. And maybe sometimes, I don't know, maybe I, that might come across as like naive, like not being aware enough that it's a business. But then again, like um, maybe also artists sometimes, you know, like to think in kind of different models and patterns and, and structures and they wouldn't like maybe realizing that it's like business that like, I, I, I don't think men, I think many artists don't want their art to be business. I actually stumbled into the arts from the opposite side. So like my career's advice at school was like, don't do art, it's not a proper job. Uh, do a proper subject, keep your art as your hobby. And like, I tried to follow that advice. And I did go to university to study politics, philosophy and economics, which is like what all the prime ministers study. Oh, yeah, that's that's way more. There's lots more money in philosophy <laughs> than <in> art. <laughs> but, well, there certainly is in economics. <laughs> okay. I, I couldn't I couldn't hack it. I can't cope in that environment. It's not it's it's not me. And like anyone that like actually knew me who was who would who would have given me advice would have been like everything that you do is creative. 
you know, you're always like coming up with ideas and imagination and, and, and putting it in drawings and, and music and all these things. Like it was insane that I did that and I dropped out and it messed up. And I went to art because I had nothing else because it was I had to do just to survive, just to keep going, just to make sense of the world and what was happening. And then now my art is very driven by like a cause or like a, something that I care passionately about. I want to make the world a better place and I'm not good at arguing. I'm not good at conflict. I would be a terrible politician um, <laughs> because I'm not assertive enough. Uh, so all, all the time that I care passionately about something, I put it not into anger, uh, but into something creative. And, and that's why I do it and why I keep going, but it's really hard. And um, they're just like, there isn't enough funding available to do things. And um, it, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. I agree. Right. I mean, but the nature of the, the part of the fact that like, the, it's a business kind of thing and it needs to be treated that way is because like, I always take it to, I, I'm a visual artist. So I sort of come to it from a visual artist kind of perspective, because like, let's say there's a stone sculptor or a metal sculptor. I mean, that person is going to have to buy some hard cost things. They have to buy metal, they have to buy stone, they have to buy tools in order to produce their, their works. So it is a business for those kinds of people that have hard costs like that. But even though you can expand that easily enough to authors or actors or anything like this because they still need time and space away from whatever it is that they do to make money to be able to focus on their craft to be able to do that well also so i mean whether it's a hard cost a physical object that the, the creative people need or whether it's literal just the ability to not have to work and have the time and space to be able to come up with their uh, conceptual ideas or or physically just like the, the time to produce something we all need something that comes from some form of a commerce um maybe <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm being overly pessimistic or you're being overly naive, but I think we're balancing yeah. each other pretty well. One of the discussions that we had in our group was um, like one of the proposals was uh, to just generally increase funding for the arts. That's a big ask, but say to governments, more public funding into the arts because artists aren't really legitimized as public workers in the way that, you know, like doctors are teachers are police officers are these are all publicly funded and it is a decision of the policy makers that they want to prioritize in society health um you know security teaching etc and that they don't care about arts and there's consequences to that because i think arts and culture are incredibly important for societal well-being mental health and i think that's why one of the reasons we have like a mental health crisis now when people can't access arts and explore creativity and express themselves but also it impacts on those people that have made that really hard decision to go into the arts despite the lack of funding because it means that we live very precarious lifestyles where we can't even afford to keep making our art or if we do we suffer consequences of that whether it's on our physical or mental well-being but also something that Christina touched on earlier was um, that it forces us to rely on alternative economies and there are consequences to relying on unregulated 
systems and economies where it's like by favor or exchange of, of non-monetary goods and quite often it leads to coercive behavior manipulative behavior and um, just being put into really difficult and dangerous situations i know i've experienced that personally and felt like that my personal safety was at risk um, or that someone was manipulating me in a way that was damaging to my mental health and that is what not funding the arts is doing yeah i agree <laughs> okay i've got a question though you, you all are both european and you're coming to this the, you're, you're constantly saying the that the the public should be funding it so the government should be funding it and all this kind of stuff i come from america so i keep thinking why aren't private organizations or people somehow inputting like they could come up with in europe they could come up with some sort of thing like if a corporation says we will you know set aside x million euros to give to the arts that they could get some tax deduction or some write-off of some amount of money so like they could the governments instead of the government actually putting money in could simply make it more beneficial for corporations to give money to the arts is a it's just another option it just sounds so shady like it cannot happen what the hell <laughs> sorry i'm not sure if sorry <laughs> it's like no come on okay so you're all against private funding i get it that's we did some research into this because we were looking at institutions and how they're funded. And I was looking through the Tate and seeing the kind of uh, corporations or personal individ you know, individuals that are sponsoring the art shows. And it's like Deutsche Bank and other banks and Hyundai and BMW and firms that maybe ethically some artists wouldn't be happy of like aligning with those uh, corporations. But also what I discovered was that like, um, Sotheby's was also sponsoring um, certain shows um, and it's like if they're making commission no that's a conflict of interest yeah exactly if they're making a commission on artworks and they can pay for those artworks to be exhibited in mainstream institutions they're profiting from their own investment in those shows and it's the same with private individuals sponsoring particular shows or particular artists. It's like private individuals having the right to choose which artists can make it and, and be successful artists. It's totally wrong and it leads to elitism and and lack of diversity and inclusion. Wait, and I'm sorry. Are you, are you expressing that there's elitism in the <laughs> arts world? That is a shocking <laughs> discovery. I had no idea. So I um, had an interview, actually. I applied to Oxford University to study at the Ruskin School of Art, right? And um, I went to the interview at the art school and they they looked at my portfolio and I'd been doing a lot of work with uh, community-based work. I was working with uh, people from disadvantaged backgrounds, homeless people, young carers, um, and, and, and working on environmental arts because I could get funding to do that stuff. Um, and also because I thought it was like a good thing for society. Anyway, they looked at my portfolio and they seriously, this was the question that they asked me. How do you think you are going to fit in a place like this? <laughs> that was an interview question at Oxford University. It, well, did you expect something different from Oxford? 
I think I was um, delusional. Okay, I mean, I, that I totally I, would have expected something I like had that. Well, the thing was, and I pointed this out to them, they were at the time constructing a new gallery in order to increase engagement with the public. But I naively thought that meant that they wanted to do like more outreach and benefit the you know engagement with the public and, and, and engaging them with art process and things. And I think it is actually just like a PR exercise for them. They want to push their ideas onto the public. Yes. Their idea of more accessibility to the arts is putting in a wheelchair ramp. Like that's that's I'm it. really wondering how they like honestly meant that question. It's like I mean obviously the situation it's, it's ridiculous. Like like the, the the whole thing that you described and, and yeah, it is a PR exercise. But I'm honestly thinking about the thought process that someone went through to <laughs> to then feel like it's okay to ask that question and even then ask it. Like I just um I really don't understand. I don't think they think it through. I think it comes from innate sort of privilege. Is that automatic? It's just so strange. Just response. <laughs> yeah, not not to say that I understand that, but my uncle was actually a professor at Oxford, so I kind of understand. Fair enough. <laughs> if some if somebody was in the United States and they said, "Oh, I went to Harvard," and they asked that same kind of question, I would just be like, "Yeah." You, that's what they would ask. I, I totally understand. Same with like Yale. If you went to Yale MFA and that was one of their questions, I would be like, okay. I was naive. Well, I will I, admit that. To, admittedly, I will say, okay, so I will defend the side of academia a smidge on that. I am not defending them asking <laughs> that question, but I'm defending it in the manner that it's a, it's a reasonably legitimate question because if – to a certain extent, they're they're wanting to know if you have the ability to defend your position. That's part of being an artist is the ability to defend your choices. So they're sort of putting you on the spot, pushing you into a corner, seeing if you can intellectually and, and effectively express your position and, and convince them. And if you could have done that, even if it was a bunch of bullshit – they probably would have. But then, like, that's another like wrong thing, right? Like, why does it have to be like that? Like, um, I understand like the world is like a super wild, dangerous place, and all that. And we have to fight for what we're expressing, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that, that's also a choice. That is something that like that societies are are creating for themselves. Like this, like actually kind of unhealthy competition. I mean, uh, yeah, like you know, we we could have a bigger discussion about that, but um, I. Uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a choice. Like someone is deliberately trying. I mean, not like one person, but obviously, you know, like like larger structures and um, are trying to make it that way. So that um, yeah, I don't know. It's in my in in, in my in my <laughs> like view on the world. I'm a bit like this is so weird. <laughs> I, I had a question for Madalena. I'm I'm not sure if I can ask, but <laughs> yeah, go to it. Well, I was wondering because this is the I actually didn't know about this experience that you had, and I was wondering if you, um, how how did you feel in that moment? If you feel comfortable sharing, obviously, and also, would you even want to be a part of that? If you know, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, in British society, we're like indoctrinated to like look up to people like Boris Johnson and the Tories and those people that have come from insanely privileged backgrounds, studying at like Eton, private schools, and then going on to Oxford and Cambridge. And those are lauded as like the highest valued uh, people in our society. So even though I went to like a state school, which was like a sports college that had no funding for the arts whatsoever, 
I, it had been ingrained in my psyche that you have to aspire to this. And like, I, I put in so much work. I did really well in my, um, I did the international baccalaureate. I, I achieved the full marks, which is really rare. And I just thought that I've put in all this effort, therefore I should be able to be at the top. But in that moment, they asked me this question and I, I was genuinely shocked. I was, I was, I, and, and it was because I was naive about how they actually are and how elitist they are um, and how inaccessible their, um, their system is to people who aren't from privileged backgrounds. Um, but I was also shocked by their hypocrisy because they were supposedly trying to do more outreach to the public and, 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 but they weren't, they were doing it in their own interests. And I think that it just resonated with me how self-serving they are and self-reinforcing their privilege and their elitism and how inaccessible that is to the rest of society. And that is probably why nowadays I have such a grudge against any kind of authority and especially Boris Johnson and the Tory party. <laughs> People who are in positions of power who exploit that power um, um, and take advantage of other people, I just, they, if there's one thing that makes me angry, it's those people. Yes. All right. So to try and bring this back to the funding <laughs> issues in the arts, the, um, some, well, no, something that you, it's sort of relevant because I, I, I thought about this is like when you're applying for a school and they ask you like, what makes you, you fit here? in the same way as when you're writing a grant or a proposal or anything like this, or seeking any form of funding, even from a sponsor or whatever kind of way you do it. What about the issue that a lot of times artists are, I'm not going to say they're enforced to, but like they are encouraged to tailor their work to a, a funding model. So like you change, like you were saying, um, Magdalena, you were saying that uh, you you did a lot of like outreach and, and, and like children and youth and homeless stuff because you could get funding for it. Well, it wasn't just because I could get funding for it. Right. Um, but it's an aspect it, that enabled me to do it. That's right. And it's an aspect that's sort of important these days that sometimes it's necessary to adjust your work to fit the financial opportunities. I think actually it's one of those things that like we, um, as in um, artists and, and creative workers believe that we should do. But actually um, during the, so Destructura organized um, series of workshops for us before we all met in Tallinn. And a few of them were on transparency and funding and, and uh, kind of like mental health and all that. And there was one about residencies as well. And I, I can't actually remember who said it. So apologies for not like quoting them and giving them credit, but it was super useful. And if they're listening, they will know who they were because they said that um, we sh like, it was like an advice, like look for the residencies that really fit your work. There is enough out there. Obviously, maybe you might not know and, and, and um, they're difficult to find, but try not fitting in those. Um, obviously, like there needs to be some kind of coherence and like you know if you're applying for something like like realistically like the like the the, the theme needs to fit like some things definitely need to fit but like find a good match it's about finding a good match rather than trying to get whatever um possible funding you know there is because it makes more sense to make two applications 
which are in which you have a chance to actually receive the funding because it because it's a good match and then there's obviously more work looking for that match or waiting for that match it's like another whole precarious um you know situation leading up to that but in the end you you still like because as a, as a result you spend more energy on your on your art or on develop in, on developing something that you actually want to do and you will find a match i mean maybe it's again like a, i I, now, I really feel like i'm like super naive in this in this um in this whole chat that we're having now but i'll just keep on being naive that's just <laughs> but you know like... enjoy it no no really embrace it because it won't last <laughs> i don't know I feel, I feel like i've been always like that. Uh, but um it's like find the right match and and put energy into writing an application for a for a good match rather than putting loads of loads of energy into something that you even don't care about just to like get money. But it's like obviously perhaps even it's not even an ideal scenario. It's just like a different way of treating those funding opportunities because I really think it doesn't make any sense to to like make your art different. It's about creating sp and also and and if there isn't funding, then th that's that's like a gap. You resort to crowdfunding. You resort, yeah, but it's like um, it's not gonna change, right? If like if if an artist compromises their vision and, and what they believe in based on on the funding that is available. Okay, just to be clear, I'm mocking you about being a bit naive, but I'm still a bit naive in that I still, even to this day, I'm almost fifty years old. I believe, and I and I still have this hope and belief that the arts world is based on merit. So if you make quality work, you will be supported. That's my horribly naive and idealistic viewpoint that unfortunately is not true, but I will still stick to it. See, the problem is that like when people do something to begin with, they're usually not that good and they need to gain experience in order to improve and develop and then produce something that's much better. You know, you learn from experiences and I think that it's totally okay to make mistakes, to learn from them and to improve. And um, it's that thing of like, you know, you have to put in, is it 10,000 hours into something before you're an expert in it? And it's, the problem is that emerging artists, young artists, when they, they come out of art school and they, and they can't access any funding because they've not got any portfolio or experience, they're then denied the opportunities to gain that experience. And then they go, oh, I just can't make this work. And they go off into some other career that's like, they can at least make some, like make a living out of. And I think this is the problem that one also one of our proposals addressed this issue of funding needs to be made available specifically for emerging artists, young artists who do not have portfolio prior experience in order that they can gain that experience in order to become the future genius or, you know, super talented person. It doesn't just happen by magic. I hate, I actually hate the word talent because it kind of insinuates that it's like some magical skill that's just bestowed on select few individuals and not something that's developed and achieved through bloody hard work just to be clear i said the word merit not talent because i agree on the, your issue of talent that's a horrible word but merit it's something deserved through hard work and effort that's my position on that. But so what were some of the final outcomes and proposals that your think tank has come up with that we haven't already discussed? I had a quick note on being naive. I think consistent and persistent and collective naivety is important. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Well, we kind of mentioned some of them already, like the applications being like more user-friendly, more, more artist-friendly. Um, and we talked about um, just um, putting more money uh, in art from like 
part of the government and we talked about the uh, like European wide platform for um, trustworthy um, funding sources and uh, and I actually quite love like, that idea yeah and I also feel like we had like an interesting discussion about it here now so I feel like um, it would be great to kind of update that one with like little like specifics like think like talk about it with our think tank and then maybe like adjust it a bit that would be great and then there was um, one about yeah, Madalena, if you if you remember any, please like step in. Yeah, so there were quite a few that were about improving transparency, yeah. which is something that you mentioned earlier, um, of like this issue of like not knowing how or why people are selected or why you've been rejected. So um, um, urging funding institutions to provide that personalised and constructive feedback. Um, um, also that funding institutions publish all the decision makers and the selection criteria at the beginning of the funding application process. Um, and we also suggested that the European Commission um, can actually do some research into funding processes um, um, in order that we can better understand like um, the challenges and, and, and why things are and are not working. Um, yeah. And also Funding institutions provide uh, public and accessible records on who gets selected um, for the funding opportunities, just to improve transparency. And really. we had some, we had a few thoughts about education as well. We wanted to, and we also touched up on it a little bit, but we wanted, um, we're suggesting that there should be courses available um, at art schools. I mean, whatever kind of art education institution um about funding and funding opportunities but equal as much we would also like to educate the funders and i think we also kind of mentioned it a little bit um that the funders kind of um yeah so i kind of um suggested them that it, it, it would be good for them as well if they could publicize their opportunities more and we kind of th and th through educating funders on also um inclusivity and diversity um we kind of wanted to already in in, in my head uh, kind of bring in bringing those two worlds a little bit together it's not like funders are like against artists and there's like a you know competition and then one gets it and like it's not like opposing worlds like um, through through that education we would like to bring these two worlds kind of closer to each other because somehow you know they have a relationship with each other but it's not a very perhaps like functional one <laughs> for for everyone involved so we thought that was super um important as well and we had a couple more that were also a bit more political, so as well as just generally increasing funding and having funding specifically for emerging artists. We were also um, recommending that educational and arts institutions strengthen the role of taxpayers um, as stakeholders in arts and culture by educating and raising awareness of their power uh, to, to influence funding for the arts um, um, you know, through their votes. Um, but and we also um, this was a very um, maybe optimistic uh, and idealist uh, suggestion, but it was that um, uh, that they trial the universal basic income scheme, which is happening in Ireland in, in other countries um, uh, to see if that, you know, if that works and that helps and that legitimizes artists as public sector workers who are who are providing a valuable service uh, to the public and contributing to society. We were also, I think that's something that we were more like kind of coming from rather than the, I mean, it was a part of the solutions as well, but it was kind of like talking, talking about how the, 
house like situation for, for emerging artists is really precarious and we touched upon health and mental health as well because um just it's it's i think it's quite like a simple thought right if you don't have stable income you're not going to be doing great so that's why the idea for universal basic income for for artists but actually for for everybody um was important to have, to have some stability because that's like a good environment for for creating uh creating whatever you want to do any last topics that you want to address or talk about? I wanted to say big thanks to all our Think Tank members because it was really nice to be working with them. So and I, to like give them credit as well because it, it was a collective process and we're literally just representing what we've been talking about all together. So I think that's quite important. And then obviously big thanks to Destructura for for creating this space. And also, it's super nice to to meet you, Matt. Um, I hope that maybe one day we'll see each other in person. <laughs> I think it, like we were very fortunate to have a think tank group that worked so well together. And our moderator, uh, Vera, was also amazing, uh, did an amazing job. And we all worked very constructively and well as a group, because I know other groups um, struggled a bit more on that. Um, so I think we... Like, yeah, we really appreciate everybody's work and collective work. And I think that's something as well that has really been emphasized by the whole of the Destructive Reform is that um, we're stronger when we work together and we can achieve more when we work together. And I think people often like think about artists and like quite like solitary creatures. And it's true, like I I am quite a, a loner or like, you know, um, uh, uh, a bit like uh, introverted and, um, and and whatever, but I do believe that you you don't achieve great things until you start building something together with others and and, and working together. And I think that Destructura is providing us with some really great opportunities to envision, you know, a better future and something that you know we can work towards if we if we just keep keep plowing on. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> to wrap this up, I'd like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, studio mates, or anybody with an interest in arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunstcentrene i Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.